Welcome again to the Clio Cloud Conference here in Chicago, Illinois. I'm Joe Patrice. Casey Flaherty. Darth Vaughn. And you're on the road with the Legal Talk Network. to another edition of On the Road with Legal Talk Network here at the Clio Cloud Conference. It's day two. We're battling through uh, yet again another day of great content here at this conference. Today, I am joined by Casey Flaherty and Darth Vaughn of Procertus. How are you guys doing? How's the conference been? Pretty good. It's been excellent. All right. I went to your event yesterday. Darth, you had a, a quick little talk about all, all manner of stuff. What I loved the most was that you began by addressing what was obviously the elephant in the room, which is why your name is Darth. <laughs> so for the people who are seeing his name for the first time in this podcast, we should probably deal with that too. Yeah, my name looks great on pleadings, but the uh, origins are very humble. Um, I wish I had a better story. My mother wanted to name me Daryl, and my father wanted to name me Garth, and they thought Darth was better than Geryl. No offense to any Geryls out there. But, but instead, it is an amazing Sith Lord who shows up on a pleading. You, 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 begin, uh, you, you get a lot of uh, immediate uh, calls to plead out or whatever. As soon it's as. an uh, interesting beginning to every conversation. <laughs> it's ensured that every application or resume I've ever sent out was at least looked at by two people. That's, so. that's a good point. That's a good point. See, there you go. You first talked about that, but the whole conference is about legal technology. But the thing that uh, what interests me the most about your story was how it's not so much the technology and the tools, it's understanding what people need to know. And, and that's because at the end of the day, the gap between where the technology is and where we need it to be, there's a void to fill, and that's the skill set. We're not quite there yet. And what we need to do is basically up our skill set so that we're able to use and utilize the full capacity of the technology that we have. We're underutilizing the, the basic office technologies that we currently have that could lead to incredible gains in efficiency. And that's not to say that there's not wonderful and new technologies out there that we should, should use and utilize. It's simply to say that we're underutilizing what we currently have. Yeah, I, um, I, made a, I tweeted this out during your presentation, but I, it rang true to me because I have a personal story. And back in 2001, I'm on this case, and it was my first assignment, really. And they said, well, we've got to do this task. We're going to have all five of us here. The partner was working the whole weekend. We spent the whole weekend doing this task. And as soon as it was explained to me, I said, you know, Office allows you, you could set that up in Office. I could do it in five minutes. Right. And no one trusted me. And the partner was like, no, we're going to do it by hand all weekend. Right. Yeah. So I have, I have two great stories like that, both, both from the law. Uh, one is about a, a partner uh, who decided something was so important, only he could do it. Um, because no one else was going to do the mind-numbing work of looking at 600 pages of transactions to identify particular trades between two people below a particular dollar threshold um, between two particular dates. So this idea that uh, there had been some gaming going on to avoid if you go over the threshold then someone else has to look at it. 600 pages from, an, from Excel had to be printed out so he could go through it with a highlighter. Now, look, he doesn't need to be a guru at Excel, but he should probably know enough to know that you can do that, that in about five seconds without thousands of opportunities for human error. 
And so the immediate reaction to that is, oh, well, he should have given it to somebody else. He should have delegated. Fine. So another story, a partner who did delegate to a paralegal, there was a recall for the, uh, this product. And so particular parts had come off a particular machine during a particular time, and those needed to be recalled. And so again, a couple of spreadsheets, one with the parts that came off the machine and what item they went into, and then another one with the serial number of the items to the customers. How do we f identify the customers? And so you had to reconcile these two sheets to find the subset of customers who needed to be contacted. Gave it to a paralegal. When I found her, she was in her third week of going through it manually to find particular parts and then manually look for the serial number in the other sheet. Again, if you know Excel, that takes 30 seconds. But neither she nor the delegating partner knew that. And so it's not just about having specific skills, it's about having a general idea of how the technology works. And it's fine if you delegate it, but you have to then be able to identify to whom you should delegate it. How do we know that people have a particular skill set? And I think something Darth did really well in his talk yesterday is say, just because you're young, doesn't mean you have that skill set. Yeah, that was uh, that was an interesting point. The kind of, uh, I think it was the exact line was something like digital native does not mean tech savvy. Yeah, well, the, the myth of the digital native, this assumption that because, you know, someone's a millennial because they had a, a Twitter account in utero or uh, in my example, starting an email account before my daughter was born, that somehow she has this innate talent when it comes to tech. It's a, it's a skill set. It's a bundle of skills that we learn over time that we get better at. It's not an innate talent. And that's not to say that there aren't individuals who aren't talented at it. And it's not to say that young people don't have a better baseline comfort and an ability to adapt quicker. But if your law firm solution is, you know, we're just going to throw young bodies at this problem without properly training them, it's a recipe for disaster. And you're still going to have the same kind of waste and inefficiency that Casey just highlighted in his two examples. We get, we get spoiled. So we're spoiled by single purpose apps that are pretty intuitive. And not only we, but younger people think that all technology, technology should be like that. Um, but it isn't. I mean, let's take the example of a minimalist user interface, Google. Google couldn't be simpler. Type some words into a box, click a button. It looks, it rank orders 60 trillion web pages and it does this 3.5 billion times a day in less than one second. And only 5% of people only ever have to go to the second page of results. That's amazing. And yet, Google offers a six-week course on how to Google. Because if you need to go beyond that basic functionality, once there's depth, well, there are trade-offs there, right? Now all of a sudden you're using punctuation and search operators and filters to find what you need. Uh, if, you, if you look at Google Advanced Search, that's what a real interface looks like when you want to do power use. And so Google's fantastic. They reward simple users and power users. Uh, who should be a power user? Probably people who are doing deep, deep research, like legal research. And in many ways, Word is the same thing, right? If you just want to start typing, if you just want it to be a typewriter with a glowing screen, it couldn't be more intuitive. It's only when we start adding depth that it becomes uh, a challenge. Now, it is not a single purpose app. It is an app ecosystem. And all those buttons across the top are apps. 
And how many apps do we actually know how to use? And you know what, for most people it's fine, but lawyers aren't most people. Lawyers are putting together highly complex documents with cross-references and headings and auto-numbering and changing up formatting to meet court rules. We are power users, and yet we never train to be power users because of this belief that there should be an easy button, that it should be automatic, that, that there is no trade-off between uh, being, uh, being easy and being deep. And, and, and to that point, what lawyers know we've learned out of survival. Um, at no point during the matriculation through law school was I taught these skills. I picked them up in corporate America. So there's a, a failing in terms of actual training, and then there's this assumption that lawyers are gonna, young lawyers are going to be able to hit the ground running. Um, and it simply doesn't work for enterprise-level software. Uh, it, these are very, very powerful programs that we're using, but we're only scratching the surface. So what do we do? We keep searching for the easy button, and we only learn enough so that we can get through our daily routines. That's the, the, the behavioral change that we're trying to break. We're trying to give lawyers the skill sets they need, um, and we're trying to wake them up so they start looking at problems differently. And instead of, as Casey pointed out, I'm gonna print out these 500 pages and go through them manually. Hey, you know what? Maybe I don't know exactly how to do that one function, but I know it can be done. So let me talk to somebody who might know that, or maybe I simply go to Google, and see if I can figure it out from there, instead of spending 15, 20 manual hours and, and wasting that time and charging the client. And, and that's time that is hard to bill. Exactly, or, and, and, and that's a great point. It's not really wasting time and charging the client, it's wasting time because you're gonna have to write that time off yep. nine times out of 10. That's lost uh, revenue for you and it's gonna decrease your realization rates. So, you know, the, 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 the basic theory is, is simple. You can reduce your client's legal spend and at the same time increase your profits and your realization rates by increasing your efficiency. And it's, and it's not just speed and cost, right? It's quality. You are introducing hundreds if not thousands of opportunities for human error. Your, your example of mail merge. Yeah. The machine's not gonna make a mistake. Yep. The, human being, the human being is. Uh, when you're spending all weekend doing that, your mind numbs. It's awful, awful work. And so it's not just quality of quality of work; it's quality of life. And Darth made great points yesterday about how miserable young lawyers are because they think they're going to be Tom Cruise. You can't handle the truth, and instead they sit staring at a machine eight to 18 hours a day that they've never actually learned how to use. And it's extremely frustrating and counterproductive, and it's bad, again, for their quality of life, but also the quality of their work product. You know, one thing that, uh, that struck me that, that is definitely true is that lawyers tend to say, oh, I don't have to handle that. That's what secretaries are for. And then they lay off secretaries. <laughs> so who is doing all this stuff? Well, and, and so that's the great question. And during the discussion yesterday, as I pointed out, we started looking at the metadata, the keystrokes of who was actually doing the work. And, and we saw the top shareholders, their input hasn't really changed over the last 10 years. And that's to be expected. You don't expect a top shareholder to be answering discovery. That's not their highest and best use. The rest of the legal team, all the work seems to be getting done by the lawyers. I mean, they're doing the vast majority of the work, primarily because the lawyer's profile, we want to own things and get them done ourselves. But also, as you just pointed out, 
the legal secretary pool has, has been dramatically reduced. Um, and now you see ratios of three to five attorneys to every one legal secretary. You simply don't have the capacity to do this. And there's an expectation on the part of law firms that younger lawyers are going to be able to come in and produce their own work. Um, and, you know, we're finding that out of a sense of survival, young lawyers have turned to doing everything themselves. Uh, just because we have to get it done and we have to get it done now. And I've got one secretary, she has four other lawyers. One of them's a partner. She's gonna do his work before uh, uh, she does mine. Um, and that's just the reality of the situation. And there's absolutely no reason to assume that the legal secretaries know how to use these tools well. They have, a lot of them have the same, I've been doing it this way for 30 years mentality that uh, lawyers do. Uh, that's why we think it's so important to puncture delusions of adequacy. You know, people don't know what they don't know. So they don't even know what questions to ask. They haven't developed a there's an app for that mentality. They try and brute force everything. Um, and you know, that works until it doesn't, and it doesn't really work anymore. Because the volume of what we do has gone up. And the tools that we have have, have kept pace. But the way we work has not. Uh, and you see that in all of the, the data uh, around realizations, uh, around time recording. I mean, it's, it's an enormous issue for lawyers that they are doing so much work that isn't compensated and they're under-delivering to their clients because it does affect quality. So how do we, no, no one likes going to a training. How do you kind of maximize learning what people don't know so that you can start teaching them what they need to know? Competency-based education and training. Uh, we like to start with assessments because we have to respect the lawyer's time. You tell a lawyer uh, that they have to go to training, that sounds like a horrible idea. If you tell a lawyer, hey, why don't you take a test so you can test out of training, that sounds like a splendid idea. <laughs> so we actually start with the initial assessment to determine what you do and do not know. What you do know, we never go over it again. You don't waste your time training on that. What you don't know is where we focus our time and we close the learning loop. And we also then validate that people have learned it. And so the assessment works on both ends as, as a tool to figure out what they do and don't know, and then as a tool to confirm that they've actually learned what they need to learn. I mean, how big a waste of time is most CLE? Uh, you turn on a video, turn off the sound, and get back to work. Or you, or you sit in a conference. Of course, we aren't condoning any of that. Or you, si or you sit in a conference and you answer emails on your phone. We demand that people take time, but we don't demand um, that they engage. And much of our training is built on this same kind of idea of even when there's mandatory training, first of all, a lot of people still don't go. And even if they do, they're concentrating on other things. I mean, you have the entire internet in your hand w without a a shift in incentive structure, it's this person demoing this thing in the front of the classroom or Twitter. Twitter's probably going to win that battle for attention. Yeah, no, so that, that, that's a great point. Like a, many, many training sessions I went to as a lawyer, I would have absolutely rather not gone to because they were useless. And I am the first to admit half of the buttons on Word, I have no idea what they do. So that's, that's the training session I would have wanted to have. So, and, and that's the brilliance behind what Casey started here. And, and the legal technology is, um, assessment, the LTA, it simply takes the basic office technology that we currently have, Word, PDF, Excel, and we walk you through a task-based competency assessment, um, which is predicated on real-world situations that a lawyer might face. 
So instead of having an abstract, oh, here's what we're teaching you about Word, we say, look, we have to get this agreement out in an hour. We need you to do these three tasks. This is something lawyers do every day. You learn a skill set and you're able to apply that skill set immediately to something you use every day. And that's what we're finding that the, the law firms that actually go through this assessment and the training, the big surprise for them is, one, before they come in, uh, we ask them two questions. Do you think this is going to be useful and do you think you're going to learn something you're going to use every day? And almost to a person, they say no. After they take the assessment, there's a complete reversal. Not only did they find it useful, they've learned something that they're going to use every day, which is going to increase their efficiency. And you see a net gain and an increase in realizations. Let me just conclude by doing what most people do at the beginning, but I kind of I kind of like jumping right into it and we'll just kind of deal with the biographical stuff at the end. So what's your stories? How did you come to ProCertis? Like, uh, I, I gather you had some in-house work uh, that you background? So, I, so, so I, was, I was at a large law firm and then I moved in-house. And when I moved in-house, I was the customer. There were lots of things I didn't want to pay for that I'd seen at a large law firm. And it had almost nothing to do with the lawyering. It had, nothing, it had nothing to do with that really valuable insight that came from the partners. I needed them as advocates, I needed them as, as counselors, but it was this apparatus beneath them. You're paying for the abstract legal insight, but it normally needs to be converted into some kind of concrete deliverable, a contract, a pleading, and it was that translation process where most of the labor and most of the cost and most of the waste is. And so the question becomes, how do you talk to your firms about that? And the traditional answer is ask for a discount. That doesn't work. It doesn't change behavior. And so I, I came up with an entire methodology for talking to firms about process and technology. It's now in a guidebook for the ACC that's free, uh, unless you ask how to get more from your external relationships. Technology training was only one piece of it. There's knowledge management, document automation, the use of data and analytics. But it was the one for which no good metrics were available. Because I want to have data-driven conversations. Lawyers are great with words. They're artists with words. I don't, I don't want to talk about art. I want to talk about engineering. Um, I want to talk about how the system actually works. And for that, you need data. And so for on the technology training piece, it's fine you're buying technology for people, but are they actually getting what they need out of it? So I decided to use Word, Excel, and PDF as proxies for overall technology training because it's ubiquitous. And so I would actually assess my outside counsel, uh, associates, and staff on how, they, on how well they were using technology, and the answer was not well. And I, I spun that into a company which became ProCertis, and then my my friend Darth here joined me. Right, and you are coming more from the, the, the outside counsel world. Exactly, I, I mean, prior to becoming a lawyer, um, I was actually a business technology consultant for uh, Accenture. Um, so I kind of took this you know, geeky, high-tech background and went into the legal industry and was extremely surprised uh, by the integration of technology in the legal industry when I arrived. Uh, so that being my background, Brown, when Casey approached me uh, with respect to what it is he was doing, and I was his outside counsel, uh, it seemed like a natural fit. Uh, we actually went to law school together, um, and we didn't really know each other in law school, but reconnected after law school, bonded over bourbon, um, and he pulled me into ProCertis. Uh, so in my day job, I'm actually a partner with the California firm Hate Brown and Bone Steel, and I'm also the director of legal process services. Uh, and about a week ago, 
we tapped Casey to come over as of counsel and be the director of client values. So uh, interestingly enough, he pulled me into what it is he was doing on the ProServis side, and now we're leveraging his expertise uh, in our law firm on a part-time basis. So now the most challenging thing is to get an office application to draw that org chart. Yes. <laughs> All right, well, th thanks Casey and Darth. Uh, this, if you uh, haven't already subscribed to On the Road with the Legal Talk Network, you should. That way you get every episode when we do it uh, through your various podcasting subscription services like iTunes. Give reviews on iTunes, those are always great. Uh, download the Legal Talk Network app, that way you can listen to everything the Legal Talk Network does. Read above the law because, you know, you should give, you know, you should find out what I'm saying when I'm not doing this. Also, um, I think there was one other thing I was going to say, and I can't remember what it was, but you know, it's it, it's something about, you know, hitting us up with social media, probably, uh, and you've probably tuned off at this point because you know my spiel. So with that, we'll say goodbye from this episode of On the Road with the Legal Talk Network. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook. Or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thank you.